Live from historic downtown Carlisle, Pennsylvania, home of founding father James Wilson, 19th century hymn writer George Duffield, 19th century gospel minister George Norcross, and sports legend Jim Thorpe. It's Iron Sharpens Iron. This is a radio platform in which pastors, Christian scholars, and theologians address the burning issues facing the church and the world today. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 tells us iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Matthew Henry said that in this passage, we are cautioned to take heed with whom we converse and directed to have in view in conversation to make one another wiser and better. It is our hope that this goal will be accomplished over the next two hours, and we hope to hear from you, the listener, with your own questions. And now, here's your host, Chris Arnzen. Good afternoon, Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Lake City, Florida, and the rest of humanity living on the planet Earth who are listening via live streaming at ironsharpensironradio.com. This is Chris Arnzen, your host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, wishing you all a happy Thursday on this 8th day of February 2024. Before I introduce my guest today, I just have some sad news. I learned this morning that a very dear friend of mine who was one of my very first Christian friends after becoming a born-again believer in the 1980s, uh, Jack Montalbano, uh, he went home to the Lord. Uh, he went home to the Lord this morning after a bout with cancer. Uh, decades ago, uh, Jack had victory over non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but the cancer recently returned with a vengeance and took his life. And this is sad and tragic news for those who knew and love Jack, but not tragic news for him. He is face-to-face with the Savior that he loved and followed for so long. And uh, I cut my teeth on Christian theology in Jack Montalbano's basement in Lindenhurst, Long Island, uh, because when I first became a believer, I was attending weekly Bible studies uh, being conducted by my pastor at that time, Mike Gadosh, my very first pastor as a born-again believer. And uh, I missed those days of not only learning about the Christian faith in that basement, but the, so many memories of explosive laughter and fun and fellowship. Uh, Jack was a, he was one of those proverbial gentle giants. He was about six foot eight, weighed over 300 pounds, but was as humble and sweet and kind and gentle as a man could be and uh, loved his Lord and uh, he will be missed. Please pray for his wife, Evelyn, and for his surviving family. I may be going to a funeral soon, depending upon where in the United States it's being held. Uh, Jack went home to be with the Lord in Florida, but I know that he is from Long Island, where I am from. So I'm assuming he may be having a, his family may be having a funeral for him on Long Island. But I will keep you posted about that. But today I have a returning guest on the program who hasn't been on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio for a number of years, uh, a dear old friend who is another one of those folks 
that I have extremely fond memories of from my earliest days of Christianity. Uh, his name is Jim Elif. He's the founder and president of Christian Communicators Worldwide, also known as CCW. And he's founder of Christ Fellowship of Kansas City, Missouri. He's an author and a conference speaker. And I have such fond memories of him. In fact, I was just telling Jim before the program that to this day, and in fact, even very recently, uh, I have been for all these years since the 1980s raving about a message delivered by Jim Elif at the church where I was saved, Calvary Baptist Church of Amityville, Long Island, which today is known as Grace Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island in Merrick after they merged with First Baptist Church of Merrick. And uh, Jim preached a sermon on the root of bitterness and the power of forgiveness. And uh, there was something unique that happened at Calvary Baptist Church in Amityville that I never witnessed before or after that. It was almost like a Holy Ghost revival. There were people weeping and publicly confessing sin and it was just a, an extraordinary experience uh, that I, I never recall being repeated there uh, because that was not the normal kind of thing that you would witness. In fact, it's just not the normal kind of thing you would witness at a Reformed Baptist church ever. <laughs> but uh, it, it, truly something that has permanently been etched on my heart and mind. And uh, I hope that Jim uh, has a recording of that sermon because I would be surprised if you did not preach that at other locations over the years. But today, Jim is going to be speaking about the Lord's Supper is a meal, and uh, quite a controversial uh, topic. I'm not even 100% how much I personally will be agreeing with Jim today, uh, but uh, I just hope that those listening who have different views on the Lord's Supper aren't too angry about uh, hearing a view that may, may not represent their own view, because I know that issues like this can be very touchy. But it's my honor, privilege, joy, and thrill to have you back on Iron Trip and Zion Radio, Jim Elif. Thank you so much, Chris. Great to hear your voice. Great to hear your voice as well. In fact, I I often, when I look uh, at my my computer console right now, and it's cluttered with, with junk, I, I still chuckle to this day remembering you Walking by my office at Calvary Baptist Church in Amityville, I had an office for mm -hmm. uh, WMCA Radio, where I was the Long Island representative, and I had an office right in that church building, and I remember you walking by the doorway, looking at the junk on my desk, and you asked me, <laughs> when was the last time you saw wood on that desk? <laughs> <laughs> I still remember it vividly. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> but, uh, Jim, if you could, let our listeners know about Christian Communicators Worldwide. Yeah. Did, I was laughing, and I didn't hear what you asked me. <laughs> oh, could you tell us about Christian Communicators tell, Worldwide? Okay, tell you about that. Okay, yeah. We've we've been around several decades, uh, and it's a ministry through which we teach, some of us teach the Word, uh, we especially not only in conferences and uh, other kind of meetings, but also in something we call Bible intensives, uh, by which we engage people for many hours together on one text of Scripture and 
without commentaries, just learning how to interpret the Bible. And, and this has been a huge blessing to us. I just did it again last week, and my assistant did it in India last week. So uh, these, this is something we do quite often. We're really interested in getting people in the Bible and, and learning how to really uh, meditate on Scripture and glean from the Scripture. And then also, uh, we're doing quite a bit of writing, and, and um, we publish books all, for, all without charge, by the way, for those who will commit to read them on our site. And uh, so we've published many books, and, and of course, we have, a, a, have an active blog and various other things that are, have to do with writing. So that's mainly it, teaching and writing, and we've been doing it a long, long time now. And the website is ccwtoday.org, ccwtoday.org. Oh, one other thing that I thought I'd mention is that when I worked for WMCA Radio, I was the first person to fill in for the late Andy Anderson uh, of his talk show, Andy Anderson Live, after he passed and went home to glory after I think he had bladder or stomach cancer. Then mm-hmm. my, my general manager asked me to fill in every day until they found a permanent replacement. And one of my guests was Jim Elif, and they were the, the station received an avalanche of complaints because I was speaking against the altar call. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> Not a very uh, popular position to take in mainstream evangelical radio. Uh, uh, and no. we we also had some criticisms, I, I think gracious criticisms of Billy Graham uh, and that ministry. But uh, hey, you gotta you gotta speak boldly about what you believe the Bible teaches, and you can't be overly concerned yeah. with people's feelings when it comes to things. That's like right. That. In love, though. Amen. That's for sure. Amen. When I mean, we were not nasty at all about Billy Graham or those who uh, practice the invitational altar call uh, system. Now, right. to, now, now, tell us about Christ Fellowship of Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, uh, Chris, we're a, we're actually a small network of house churches. Uh, we have five pastors, and um, we uh, our main meetings are in in the homes, which is a building, by the way. So we meet in buildings called homes, and uh, this has been wonderful. We we've, we've had twenty years of history. We're not a uh, we're a deep running in terms of our doctrine and our view of leadership and all the things that we hold uh, to be important for churches to be. So, but we just have a different venue, meet in a home and every six weeks or, uh, or so we meet together, all, all the congregations meet together. It's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. And one of the things that we do is eat the Lord's supper together every time in our homes. So, uh, it's been a great laboratory, in a way, for really examining some of the first century uh, issues, practices, and um, making a distinction, of course, between what's descriptive and what's prescriptive. But we really, we've really had a wonderful time. It's been an amazing church. Amen. Well, if you want to find out more about Christ Fellowship of Kansas City, Missouri, if you live in that area, or if you are passing through that area, or if you have family, friends, and loved ones in that area, go to ChristFellowshipKC.org, ChristFellowshipKC.org. And I hope that my niece, Patrice Farrell, who is a beautiful Christian niece, uh, I hope that one day she pays you folks a visit, because she lives very close uh, to that area. Okay, good. 
And uh, well, we, today, as I said, we're speaking about something that uh, has a bit of controversy uh, connected to it. The Lord's Supper is a meal. And if you could, first of all, uh, lay out the, the, the primary or the main premise of what exactly that means, and then we'll get mm-hmm. more involved into detail and so on. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Yes, I actually what isn't controversial to scholars is that the early church ate a meal that they called the Lord's Supper. So that's not controversial in itself, but the practice of it today has, with the morphing, with quite a bit of morphing over over history, over the long history, uh, looks a lot different than the early church experienced it. So we t- we take the Lord's Supper, the uh, the term and the only real des- designation for this, uh, and it is uh, or agape meal that would both of them implying a meal, and. Uh, this description uh, tells us what we ought to do. It's a, it's a supper highlighting, of course, the elements of the bread and, and the wine or grape juice, whatever is used. So uh, that's something we do every every week when we gather together. Uh, so we don't take the Lord's Supper. We eat the Lord's Supper, a, a, a true fellowship meal built upon uh, what we're representing, what is being represented through the uh, bread and the and the wine or juice. So that's the simple idea. We've had over 900 meals together, for instance, as a church over these years. And when I when I uh, first met you, when you came to preach at Calvary Baptist Church of Amityville, you were pastor of a more traditional Reformed Baptist church in Little Rock, Arkansas, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And mm-hmm. did you have this view uh, of the Lord's Supper being a meal back then, or if you didn't, how did that no. develop? No, I didn't. It, it developed in my understanding of the Scripture, and uh, definitely didn't. We did we did uh, take the Lord's Supper elements every week. That was a practice that we had, but we had not uh, really seen the import and um, really the instruction, apostolic instruction, to eat the Lord's Supper together on a weekly basis. So now now it's uh, it's been about 20 years since, 20 or so years since this became a reality in our understanding. And uh, this also is a view that I have only heard from those that also believe in the house church model. I've never heard of uh, someone, a pastor or elder or another individual outside of that house church view that practices the Lord's Supper as a meal. Are there uh, actual more traditional mainstream kind of churches that are also doing this? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are some. I think they're wrestling. uh, And by the way, we don't think doing uh, meeting in house churches is the only way, by the way. Uh, Thank but, goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, we don't. And um, uh, a lot of our work is in just traditional churches. Yes, there are some churches that that uh, have done that. In fact, uh, I guess I, to, to restate a little bit about my history, we did have a time where for several years we had a meal, but we didn't think of it as the Lord's Supper. We had a meal every every Sunday together uh, after our morning meeting. And so the practice of having a meal also was a 
a step forward, but we didn't put all the pieces together till, uh, you know, as I said, maybe about 20, maybe a little bit ahead of that time. Uh, we, we that all came together in our thinking. This this is exactly what's being talked about in the scripture. So uh, yeah, there there are some churches uh, here and there, not many, of course, in the traditional vein, because the church buildings are typically not as accommodating to do this as a home would be, of course. Well, why don't you, you know we built we haven't built our architecture around this idea. Well, why don't you tell us about the meal at Gaius's house? Uh, yeah, I began this book that I a small book that I wrote, The Lord's Supper is a Meal, uh, with a fictional story actually about eating at Gaius's house. Gaius actually is the home of the person where the Corinthian church met. That's listed in the, in Romans chapter 16. Gaius is host to the whole church, writing from Corinth. Uh, and um, so, yeah, uh, I just tell a fictional story about uh, about another couple and some servants, slaves, who went down with them, all of whom had been converted to the ministry of Paul, eating together in that in Gaius's large home, and um, everything seemed normal. The wealthy people uh, sort of hobnobbed with the other wealthy people that they were used to talking to. The, the slaves or the poor people tend to group up with those people. When it came to eating, uh, they carried their own meals, and uh, the poor had very little, and the wealthy people had a lot. And and uh, um, but actually, you know, it was a meal like this in that kind of context, that kind of experience where Paul wrote and said, you come together for the worse. Whereas these people were doing what socially was common. Everybody probably thought in the Corinthian church that everything was right and good. But the Apostle Paul saw something there that was um, uh, strikingly bad to him. And he said, when you come together to eat, you actually come together for the worse, because what you're eating is not the Lord's Supper. It's your own meal. It's not the Lord's Supper. And when you uh, have this supper as a meal, give us more about, uh, before we go on with some of the other uh, chapter themes in the book, okay. give us some more details about what is actually taking place. I'm assuming that you have the primary elements that are traditionally had in the Lord's table, bread and wine or bread and grape mm -hmm. juice. Uh, mm -hmm. By the yeah. way, do you believe that it is required to have either a fermented uh, wine or unfermented grape juice? There are churches, obviously, as you know, that are strongly divided over that in the in the body of Christ. <clears throat> well, it's what we practice and we do believe we this uh, we do believe that's part of the point, but but not I understand there might be places in the world where this is not possible, so uh I surely the Lord would understand if it's not possible to do that. Do what? Wait, which though, fermented or non-fermented? No, just not even have have the 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 grapes uh, period you know what i'm saying there might be places in the world where they don't have access to that you know okay. so that might be an exception 
which I, I'm sure the Lord would understand. But uh, no, we we do. It's accessible to all of us that are listening to this, and I I do think it's uh, important to do that. But um, you know, it's not. Yeah. At any rate, that's a very secondary issue to us. But but I think it's important to do that myself. Yeah. Well, well, which which way do you do it though? You have an answer if it's we, men- we do. Yeah, because we said we have had. Uh, well, anyway, we do. We use the grape juice. Oh, fermented. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but but I don't think we're totally contrary to having the wine. The question there has been, of course, with some. Sometimes people have had an alcoholic background and so forth. Right. So, yeah. And how about the bread? Do you do you only use unleavened bread, or does it matter to you? Uh, we think it matters. It's part of the symbolism, and you know, for instance, very clearly in First Corinthians five, I, I, you know, eleven related to sin, a whole history of symbolism about that through from the Passover on. So we use unleavened bread. Now, when you have the elements, uh, like for instance, at the Last Supper the the actual uh partaking of communion seemed to be after the passover meal you know the scriptures referring to when the supper was ended he took the cup and uh mm-hmm. so do you That's right. do you have the lord's supper even though you connect it with a meal do you have it in a distinct section of that meal as as a more ceremonial aspect after the meal or do you just uh you know pile plates filled with mashed potatoes and and meatloaf and string beans and corn and apple uh-huh. pie and then you have your uh, unleavened bread and your grape juice i mean how, how does that work yeah i mean again how i don't think uh that this is prescribed in the scripture as far as the eating of the Lord's Supper is concerned about when in the meal or how in the meal exactly. That. One, of the, one of the things that is important to consider is that in the Mediterranean world, the bread was the, was the utensil that they used to eat their food. And even in the scripture passage you're mentioning, it's only the cup that they took afterwards. And that had more to do, I think, uh, Chris, with the formulation of the Passover Seder experience and the import of the symbolism about the particular cup which he was lifting up and drinking at the time. Uh, but the bread was earlier, by the way. So uh, in, in, the, in the Lord's Supper meal, it doesn't seem to be any ceremony about the meal. Um, and in our case, most of our congregations, some, some do, they're free to do However, as individ- they wish to do it as individual congregations, and we've done it different ways. We've taken those elements different ways, but we like to have someone talk about that before the meal begins. We're all we're all in the kitchen around the food, and and we'll take uh, a few minutes to hear something out of the scripture, maybe to pray, to sing something, and then they do pick up the these elements after that after we've made something of them and then they pick them up and take them with them to the table. Cause historically they would have been just the, again, the drink and the, and the bread that they would have used uh, in the meal. So it's a, it's a little bit different. This not being the staple part of our meals, but it was always part of the banquet to have, uh, you know, wine and always part of every meal to 
to have this bread, this unleavened bread, or, or leavened or unleavened, but in, in this case, leavened bre- unleavened bread. And uh, so, so that poses a little conundrum to think through. Some of our, one of our congregations does does that immediately following the meal, and, and we we've, we've stopped in the middle of the meal and and highlighted these things. We do the one thing that I think is important is that it does need to be highlighted. This is the blood which yes. this is the the cup which we bless and the bread which we bless. So we do take some time to think about that. Amen. And we have to go to our first commercial break. And uh, if anybody has questions of your own for Jim Eliff on the Lord's Supper is a meal, our email address is chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Give us your first name at least, your city and state of residence, and your country of residence if you live outside of the USA. Please only remain anonymous if your question involves a personal and private matter. Let's say you agree with Jim, but you're a member of a church that vehemently disagrees with Jim, and you don't want to draw attention to your identity, or vice versa. Whatever the case may be, uh, uh, we will honor your request to remain anonymous if you believe your question is personal and private. But otherwise, if it's a general question, give us your first name at least, city and state, and country of residence. Please don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jim Elliff. Armored Republic exists to equip free men with tools of liberty to defend God-given rights against the twin threats of tyranny and chaos. If you own a rifle to resist tyrants and criminals, then you should own body armor and a med kit for the same reasons. A rifle stops evil, body armor and a med kit keep you in the fight and preserve your life. Armored Republic is a body of free craftsmen united to create tools of liberty. We are honored to be your armorsmith of choice. Civilian ownership of body armor is about increasing decentralized power and by comparison, reducing the advantages of centralized power. The danger of centralized power is often represented by the word king. As Americans, we hate the word king, applied to any mere man. We are armored republic. And in a republic, there is no king but Christ. Arm yourself with tools of liberty at armoredrepublic.com. Sarnson here, host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. I strongly recommend a church I've been recommending as far back as the 1980s, Grace Covenant Baptist Church in Flemington, New Jersey, pastored by Alan Dunn. Grace Covenant Baptist Church believes it's God's prerogative to determine how he shall be worshipped and how he shall be represented in the world. They believe churches need to turn to the Bible to discover what to include in worship and how to worship God in spirit and truth. They endeavor to maintain a God-centered focus and to protect worship from the intrusion of carnal entertainments and distractions. Reading, preaching, and hearing the Word of God, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism, and communion are the scriptural elements of their corporate worship performed with faith, joy, and sobriety. Discover more about Grace Covenant Baptist Church in Flemington, New Jersey at gcbc-nj.org. 
That's gcbc-nj.org. Or call them at 908-996-7654. That's 908-996-7654. Tell Pastor Dunn you heard about Grace Covenant Baptist Church on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. I'm Phil Johnson, Executive Director of Grace to You with John MacArthur. I've been a frequent guest on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and I highly recommend this show. But today I want to tell you about one of its advertisers, Rare Document Traders. Far and away, my favorite source for quality Charles Spurgeon memorabilia. Are you looking for that special, unique gift for your pastor or missionary friend or a loved one? Why not purchase a piece of church history that any believer would cherish? Rare Document Traders is your one-step source for Spurgeon's handwritten manuscripts and letters, as well as other rare books and collectible items from church history. In 15 years that they've been in business, they've earned a stellar reputation in the Reformed community with thousands of satisfied customers all around the world, including me. Visit raredoctraders.com today. That's raredoctraders.com. Don't forget to mention you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. That's raredoctraders.com. Pastor Keith Allen of Lindbrook Baptist Church, a Christ-centered, gospel-driven church looking to spread the gospel in the southwest portion of Long Island, New York, and play our role in fulfilling the Great Commission, supporting and sending for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're delighted to be a part of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron Radio advertising family. At Lindbrook Baptist Church, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God inerrant in the original writings, complete as the revelation of God's will for salvation, and the supreme and final authority in all matters to which they speak. We believe in salvation by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. This salvation is based upon the sovereign grace of God, was purchased by Christ on the cross, and is received through faith alone, apart from any human merit, works, or ritual. Salvation in Christ also results in righteous living, good works, and appropriate respect and concern for all who bear God's image. If you live near Lindbrook, Long Island, or if you're just passing through on the Lord's Day, we'd love to have you come and join us in worship. For details, visit lindbrookbaptist.org. That's L-Y-N-Brookbaptist.org. This is Pastor Keith Allen of Lindbrook Baptist Church reminding you that by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Lord bless you in the knowledge of himself. Sharpens Iron Radio, praise God for the generous monthly financial support of Royal Diadem Jewelers, educated by and affiliated with the American Gem Society, Jewelers of America, and the Gemological Institute of America. 
For the perfect custom-designed engagement ring or any one-of-a-kind piece of jewellery created exactly according to your imagination and specifications, Royal Diadem Jewellers has you covered. No matter where you live in the world, Royal Diadem will walk you step-by-step through every stage of the process and even hold a high-tech internet virtual visit using state-of-the-art jewellery design technology to serve you. They start by listening carefully to determine your needs. They're interested in making what you want, not what they want to sell you. From rough design to digital model, to photorealistic image, to wax prototype model, to the finished product, they're continually listening to your input, likes and dislikes, making any changes necessary along the way. This will ensure that your custom jewellery will turn out exactly as you dreamed and well beyond your expectations. Visit royaldiadem.com. That's royaldiadem.com today. Sterling Vanderwerker, owner of Royal Diadem Jewellers, his wife Bronnie, his business partner and manager Brian Wilson, and the entire family thank you all for listening to, praying for, and supporting the work of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And don't forget, folks, royaldiadem.com is still offering Iron Sharpens Iron Radio this mind-blowing opportunity. They are giving us 100% of the profits from any sale of jewelry to a Iron Sharpens Iron Radio listener, as long as that listener mentions Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. So if you have any intention to buy yourself or someone you love jewelry, and Valentine's Day is coming up right around the corner, uh, please go to royaldiadem.com and please mention Iron Sharpens Iron Radio so that we will receive 100% of the profits from that sale. Please uh, go to that website, royaldiadem.com, soon because we have no idea when they're going to pull the plug on this offer where we get 100% of the profits from the sale of jewelry. So even to get the ball rolling on your purchase or your customized one-of-a-kind piece of jewelry, uh, please go to royaldiadem.com today just to start the ball rolling at least and mention Iron Trip and Zion Radio. We're now back with Jim Elif founder of Christian Communicators Worldwide, and we are discussing his book, The Lord's Supper is a Meal. If you have a question, send it to chrisarnson at gmail.com. Give us your first name, at least, city and state, and country of residence. Before I go to any listener questions, and we already have some, uh, tell us about uh, the Lord's Supper is a weekly meal. And this uh, idea of it being a weekly meal seems to be, in my experience, growing in popularity amongst uh, churches, perhaps especially Reformed churches, that have historically, perhaps for decades or a century or more, been only mm-hmm. having it once a, a month, uh, and some mm-hmm. some churches have it less. But there yeah. seems to be a growing popularity in wanting to have this meal every week. Uh, perhaps even the younger pastors are moving in that direction, seeing it as a more biblical way to be faithful in regard to the supper but if you could uh tell us about that uh, the lord yeah yes okay yeah that's that's a, a very interesting question and thank you for that yeah in in the passage uh in a pa- very important passage related to the lord's supper first corinthians 11 where there was an abuse of the lord's supper we learn a great deal about it we we learn clearly that it was a meal for instance but he says five times, when you come together, he uses that, that phrase, when you come together, 
And for instance, he says here in verse 18, when you come together as a church, and then just after that it says, when you come together to eat. And uh, this is sometimes a connection point, I think, for people to discover that this is a regular practice of their lives. Is other historical, there are other historical uh, uh, information about that as well. But yeah, that in First Corinthians, uh, uh, Acts chapter 20 and in, in, in Troas, it says it was the first day of the week when they came together to break bread. Uh, I think these are the two prominent places you would go, Acts 20 and First Corinthians 11, to, to see this practice outside of the other historical information. So many churches have this. This history, uh, I mean, is played out in some of the uh, denominations, right? There, there's some denominations, whatever their view of the Lord's Supper is, that are practicing that on a weekly basis. And so, that's just a continuation. I think of. I, I do think it was what. Uh, I do think it's clearly what did happen on a weekly basis. And almost every scholar I've ever read on this subject would agree with that. That this was just the practice that they had. By the way, usually at the end of the day, uh, it was a it was a supper, in a long line of suppers. Um, you know, from the Passover meal to the uh, Last Supper, throughout all the years of the Lord's Supper, looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was it, it was just something that they did after work because until. 313, I think it was, when there was an edict, um, everybody worked, you know. You didn't get the day off on Sunday. Uh, everybody just did their work, and when they were through with their work, they gathered as a church. It was the Lord's Day, but it wasn't a day off until then, in the, at least in the Roman world. So, uh, yeah, that would ju- they would eat a supper together regularly when they come together to eat that's and when they come together as a church or sim- are the same thing. And uh, as far as the Lord's Supper is a meal uh, for inter- intentional and undivided fellowship, how does that relate specifically to those two aspects? Well, I think. Uh, when we think of the purposes of the Lord's Supper, one, of course, to symbolize the death of the body, the blood of Jesus Christ, but particularly the Lord's Supper uh, from the passages in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 11, especially, uh, I, I think make this clear. Well, I think there are other places, maybe Galatians uh, chapter 2 as well, in the conflict uh, Paul had with Peter not eating with Gentiles was a Lord's Supper experience as well. But this this idea of uh, being this kind of warm uh, fellowship built upon the death, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, their eating together was a way to say, in, in fellowship with each other, was a way to say Jesus Christ has made this possible by his death for us. And this this is what allows us to have fellowship with the Father on a on a vertical level and fellowship with one another on a horizontal level. Uh, we also see this from the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the eating of the food after the sacrifice, uh, this idea that you would eat a 
that that the that the people who made sacrifices were uh, sharers, you know, in that they were sharers in the and we are sharers as well. First Corinthians ten in the body of Christ, uh, and we are one bread, which make up, uh, which speaks of our fellowship together. Uh, the the, pro- the very problem that was going on in Corinth was a problem on the horizontal level of a, of abuse of this fellowship and not including, um, you know, it was sort of a status division that was going on. And Paul has gone into some detail about the importance of fellowship, so much to say that when they eat the meal with this kind of broken fellowship not considering one another they're eating their own meal they're not eating the lord's supper the lord's supper is a meal that is intentionally about our fellowship with each other and by the way there's there's very little fellowship in just a small cracker and a little sipping a little drink Um, (laughs) you know kept uh, that in, in a funny way is about the the thing that might be done in a church meeting that has the least fellowship connected to it but that, I believe, is kind of a hangover from um, Catholicism that didn't didn't get corrected, really, in my view. Well, the ask- so, okay. fellowship, you know, fellowship around the table is a strong is strongly thematic in the Scripture. Even even our future, uh, eternal future, is spoken of by Jesus as fellowship around the table. And uh, so, this in that. That culture, and even in our culture, is is just a, a strong statement about our fellowship, and that's what that's what they did. It was the Lord's Supper; they were eating a meal together, and uh, it's not called communion. That's what we hope to experience. It's not called Eucharist. That's the word for giving thanks. Jesus gave thanks, but those are words that are used that kind of cause people to separate out the eating of the elements with the meal itself but it's called you know the lord's supper and as my son said one time the lord's supper is a supper after all isn't it you know it is a supper uh and by its own name or the or the term agape feast of course uh explicitly saying it's a feast it's a it's a meal together so this is what the early church did they came together to eat and they and um they had fellowship together. That, having that 900 meals together as a church in our in our context over here, I have to tell you, has so deepened our love and relationship with each other. It's incredibly deeper. You, can you just imagine and think about that? I mean, there's not much not to like about that, is there? That we we spend time together around the table, just getting getting involved in each other's lives in a deep way because of Jesus Christ, entirely because of His death. Amen. And uh, I'm sorry, were you going to continue on with that point? Or... No, that's fine. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, if you could hone in on uh, an essential element uh, that should be, obviously, a focal point of the Lord's Supper, no matter what other views you have on the physical aspects of partaking it, is uh, the Lord's Supper is a meal to proclaim Christ's death. Yeah, right. That's exactly what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, 
there's a section in First Corinthians 11 where it's something that's often quoted when uh, pastors lead a church in the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord in the night took the bread. When he was afraid, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, and so forth, you, this is my body. But that section uh, is in the context of this fellowship problem that is going on. And if you look at it carefully, it begins with a four. He's going to explain something. Four, he says. He's been talking about the broken fellowship in the church, which is causing judgment by God on them. And he's going to explain something with what Jesus Christ uh, said he was doing with his body and his blood. And he says, for, and he gets to the end of it, and he says, therefore. So he's using this not as something which has to be said each time we eat the Lord's Supper together. Uh, there's no commandment to do to say these words at all. It's okay to say them, but there's no commandment to say them. He's actually using this to uh, emphasize that this death, which was sacrificial for others, it's 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 totally hypocritical for you while you're while you're emphasizing the death of Jesus Christ in these symbols that you have in your hands and then to have these status divisions among you and not caring for each other even in the meal itself this is the height of hypocrisy when you do this and he's he's uh he's emphasizing there that um you know that that we're proclaiming the Lord's death, not just in what we say about the body and the blood, but we're proclaiming the Lord's death in our eating this meal together, in our fellowship together, by imitating his kind of sacrificial love for each other. Uh, therefore, he goes on to say, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, and the word can be uh, translated an unfitting or, or a way that does not correspond in a manner that does not correspond will and then he goes into a seg segment about judgment so uh yeah the re the reason that is in set in first corinthians 11 for those of you who can sort of picture or looking at the scriptures the reason that is in set is to make the point that these people in corinth were were being entirely hypocritical and this is the reason not being like christ and and not really right here at the, in the midst of holding this bread and drinking this this cup uh you, you are actually demonstrating the opposite of what jesus christ said that is unfitting and that brings about judgment. That's how Paul is explaining that judgment has come to these Corinthian people, many of them sick and weak, and some of them have died because of it. Yeah, I would imagine that there are a lot of folks in modern evangelicalism that believe that that would never possibly happen in the 21st century, that people mm -hmm. might actually die from in some way disrespecting mm -hmm. the intent of the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, well, I, I actually think, uh, Chris, that it was a total shock to these people. Yes. You know, it, it really took the apostles' look at this, the apostles' understanding, to read what was happening in their situation. 
Now, not we know not all not all sickness is a is a judgment in any way by God, but uh, he he saw this clearly as connected to this problem. Listen, Paul gets really exercised about this. This is this is about as strong a word as he says to any church, mm-hmm. right? And it has to do with the Lord's Supper. We t- we take the Lord's Supper so incidentally, you know, like it's almost nothing. But he he is he is talking about their their fellowship, which is built upon the death of Jesus Christ. That's what brings it's that it's the death of Christ that broke the middle wall of partition down between Jews and Gentiles. You know, this is his theme. This is where he. This is what he harps on, really, in all the books in one way or another. I mean, just one after another. He's so concerned that this fellowship be taking place. And the, and, and the way this fellowship shows up in the church life is to eat this, eating this meal together, which is an apostolic tradition. And uh, you, it's built upon the, the death of Jesus Christ. He got exercised about it when what apparently was a Lord's Supper meal in the uh, in this Antioch of Syria, above Israel, you may remember it's mentioned in the book of Galatians when Paul stands up and rebukes Peter for eating yes, yes. with the Jews. Remember that had come from Jerusalem, yes. and, and he because before he'd been eating with the Gentiles. What? What? And we, when you think about what Peter was doing, uh, you know the one to whom much had been revealed about opening up to the Gentiles, right? Sort of a iconic figure about you yes. know, the sheets coming down and all the things that he experienced about right. being open to the Gentiles. And here Paul has to actually rebuke this apostle in in front of everybody uh, openly uh, because this is what Paul gets really, again, very exercised about this. Here we have a meal where we're, where we're intentionally having fellowship because of the death of Jesus Christ. This is the Lord's Supper. This is what we do. We always do this when we come together to to, have, to provide this opportunity and to demonstrate and symbolize what we mean together. And you're doing the very opposite of this. And uh, so it's it's just uh, it's very acute. You know, Paul Paul is is very worked up in both of those cases over a meal. Interesting, isn't it? Yes. And uh, let's squeeze in one listener question before we go to our midway break. We have Mike in Monroe, New York. And I, he's asking a first question that you've already covered, but you could feel free to clarify anything about it. He said, is Brother Jim's church part of a fellowship or association of churches that also practice the Lord's Supper in this way? And I'll ask his second question after you answer that one. Okay, yeah, we are part of a couple. We have relationships with um, we have relationships with the Southern Baptist, and we have relationships with Fire Fellowship of Independent Reformed Evangelicals. But no, it is not uh, monolithic across the board. There are some, but not monolithic across the board that they eat the Lord's Supper in the way that we do. So I wrote this book hoping to encourage the brethren to think about it, you know, and, and, the brothers but, to think about this. But there is a small network of churches that is sort of a, an association uh, that you were just mentioning earlier, where you come together, well, you you worship separately, but then come together for a joint meeting. So obviously there's some kind of an association. Yes, in the North Carolina, Kansas City, yes, we do that. We In, in our homes, when we meet, though, that's our main meeting. And in our main meeting, 
we eat the Lord's Supper together every week. And that's the main thing. And then at various times, we come together as a whole. So we are one church. We meet in various ways as a whole, like all the women were together from all the congregations last night. So I don't mean to go into all the details about our church, but uh, all of these, we call them congregations, uh, that meet in a home on on a Sunday, they're eating the Lord's Supper together every time. And we're usually together, frankly, four or five hours. I mean, we're together a long time. We just fellowship a lot. So we come together, we have a session, an hour and a half, maybe two hours, uh, where we're hearing the word, we're very intent upon the Bible, having a big impact on our lives and we're edifying each other, et cetera, sharing our lives, sharing our needs, uh, and so forth. And then we'll eat a meal together. You know, we eat that meal and we fellowship together and it's a joyous time. Well, we have to go to our midway break and Mike from Monroe, we're going to ask Jim your second question when we return from the midway break. Uh, please be patient with us, folks, because the middle break is always a little longer than the other breaks because Grace Life Radio, 90.1 FM in Lake City, Florida, who airs this program, uh, they are required by the FCC to localize Iron Trip and Zion Radio geographically to Lake City, Florida, because that's where they're located. And they do so with their own public service announcements and other local things that they air in the middle of the show while we simultaneously air our globally heard commercials. So please use this time wisely. Write down as much of the contact information as you possibly can for as many of our advertisers as you can so you can more frequently and successfully uh, contact our advertisers. We hope that you will buy their products and use their services and visit their churches as often as possible. But when you cannot do those things, please at least contact as many of our advertisers as possible and simply say thank you for sponsoring Iron Trip and Zion Radio. If indeed you are grateful that they share their wealth with us so that we can remain on the air. And also, of course, send in your questions to Jim Elliff, to Chris Arnson at gmail.com. Give us your first name at least, city and state and country of residence. <clears throat> Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Elliff and more on the Lord's Supper is a meal right after these messages. I'm Brian McLaughlin, president of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed-circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. 
For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Puritan Reformed is a Bible-believing, kingdom-building, devil-fighting church. We are devoted to upholding the apostolic doctrine and practice preserved in Scripture alone. Puritan Reformed teaches men to rule and lead as image-bearing prophets, priests, and kings. We teach families to worship together as families. Puritan is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. We sing the Psalms, teach the law, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, maintain discipline, and exalt Christ. This is Pastor David Reese of Puritan Reformed in Phoenix, Arizona. Join us in the glorious cause of advancing Christ's crown and covenant over the kings of the earth. Puritan Reformed Church. Believe. Build. Fight. PuritanPHX.com I'm Dr. Joseph Piper, President Emeritus and Professor of Systematic and Applied Theology at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Every Christian who's serious about the Reformed faith and the Westminster Standards should have and use the eight-volume commentary on the theology and ethics of the Westminster Larger Catechism titled Authentic Christianity by Dr. Joseph Moorcraft. It is much more than an exposition of the Larger Catechism. It is a thoroughly researched work utilizes biblical exegesis as well as historical and systematic theology. Dr. Moorcraft is pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, and I urge everyone looking for a biblically faithful church in that area to visit that fine congregation. For details on the eight-volume commentary, go to westminstercommentary.com, westminstercommentary.com. For details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, Visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com, heritagepresbyterianchurch.com. Please tell Dr. Moorcraft and the saints at Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, that Dr. Joseph Piper of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary sent you. Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. This is Daryl Bernard Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Tom Buck of First Baptist Church of Lindell, Texas, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Kent Keller of Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. 
I'm Andrew Rappaport, the founder and executive director at Striving for Eternity Ministries, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Mark Romaldi, pastor of Sovereign Grace Church of Greenbrier, Tennessee, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Christopher Cookston, pastor of Prineville Community Church in Prineville, Oregon, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Matt Tarr, pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Larksville, Pennsylvania, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. Hello, my name is Anthony Uvinio, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope Reform Baptist Church in Quorum, New York, and also the host of the ReformRookie.com website. I want you to know that if you enjoy listening to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio show like I do, you can now find it on the Apple's iTunes app by typing Iron Sharpens Iron radio in the search bar. You no longer have to worry about missing a show or a special guest because you're in your car or still at work. Just subscribe on the iTunes app and listen to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio show at any time, day or night. Please be sure to also give it a good review and pass it along to anyone who would benefit from the teaching and the many solidly reformed guests that Chris Arnson has on the show. Truth is so hard to come by these days, so don't waste your time with fluff or fake news. Subscribe to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio podcast right now. And while you're at it, you can also sign up for the ReformRookie.com podcast and visit our website and the YouTube page. We are dedicated to teaching Christian theology from a Reformed Baptist perspective to beginners in the faith as well as seasoned believers. From Keech's Catechism and the Doctrines of Grace to the Olivet Discourse and the Book of Leviticus, the Reform Rookie podcast and YouTube channel is sure to have something to offer everyone seeking biblical truth. And finally, if you're looking to worship in a Reformed church that holds to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, please join us at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, New York. Again, I'm Pastor Anthony Avenio, and thanks for listening. If you love Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, one of the best ways you can help keep the show on the air is by supporting our advertisers. One such faithful advertiser who really believes in what Chris Arnzen is doing is Daniel P. Patafuco, serious injury lawyer and Christian apologist. Dan is the president and founder of the Historical Bible Society. Their mission to foster belief in the credibility of Scripture as the written Word of God. They go to various churches, schools, and institutions to publicly display a rare collection of biblical texts, along with a fascinating presentation by Mr. Butterfuco demonstrating the reliability of Scripture. To advance the cause of the Gospel, they created a beautiful, perfect facsimile of the genealogy of Jesus Christ from the original engravings contained in a first edition 1611 King James Bible. This 17th century hand-engraved chart shows the family tree of Jesus Christ going back to Adam and Eve. This book is complete with gorgeous full-size illustrations of Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel. 
and an explanation of why the genealogy of Jesus is so important for his claims to the throne of the universe. Originals of this work are in museums and nobody has ever made it accessible to the public in a large book form before. You can have your own copy of this 44-page genealogy book for a donation of $35 or more. Visit historicalbiblesociety.org. That's historicalbiblesociety.org. Thanks for helping to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. such a blessing to hear from Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners from all over the world. Here's Joe Riley, a listener in Ireland, who wants you to know about a guest on the show he really loves hearing interviewed, Dr. Joe Moorcraft. I'm Joe Riley, a faithful Iron Sharpens Iron radio listener here in Atoy in County Kildare, Ireland, going back to 2005. One of my very favorite guests on Iron Sharpens Iron is Dr. Joe Moorcraft. If you've been blessed by Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, Dr. Moorcraft and Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, are largely to thank since they are one of the program's largest financial supporters. Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming is in Forsyth County, a part of the Atlanta metropolitan area. Heritage is a thoroughly biblical church, unwaveringly committed to Westminster standards, and Dr. Joe Moorcraft is the author of an eight-volume commentary on the larger catechism. Heritage is a member of the Hanover Presbytery, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and tracing its roots and heritage back to the great Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Heritage maintains and follows the biblical truth and principles proclaimed by the reformers, scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and God's glory alone. Their primary goal is the worship of the triune God that continues in eternity. For more details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com that's heritagepresbyterianchurch.com or call 678-954-7831 that's 678-954-7831 if you visit tell them Joe Riley an Iron Sharpens Iron radio listener from a toy in County Kildare, Ireland sent you Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And please, folks, do not forget that solid-ground-books.com is experiencing a book sales crisis right now. 
I am hoping that as many of my listeners as possible will come to the rescue and go to solid-ground-books.com today and purchase as many books as you possibly can afford to do. Solid-ground-books.com is a premier, a primary, a vital sponsor of this program, and uh, we would have to wonder if we could continue to exist without the financial support that they provide every month. So please, if you love the show and you want it to continue, Go to solid-ground-books.com. If you've never purchased from them before, make your first purchase today. And if you've purchased from them many times, maybe even every month, make today your largest purchase ever, if indeed you can afford to do so. And remember, you're not only going to be doing solid-ground-books.com a favor by buying books from them, and you're not only going to be doing Iron Sharpens Iron Radio a favor by keeping a very important advertiser happy. You're going to be doing yourself and anyone for whom you purchase books from solid-ground-books.com, an enormous favor of incalculable value because they bring back into print excellent, uh, mind-blowingly wonderful biblical treasures from the past that have been sometimes buried for centuries and unknown to Christians that have been just recently discovered and unearthed by them and made available to the general public. And also... Uh, they bring into print for the very first time the works of modern authors like Dr. James R. White of Alpha and Omega Ministries. They, they bring back into print and publish nothing but the very finest in Christian literature dating back to the Protestant Reformation all the way forward to our modern day. So please go to solid-ground-books.com frequently, purchase generously. Always mention that you heard about them from Chris Arns and of Iron Sharp and Zion Radio. Before I return to my interview with Jim Elliff, of Christian Communicators Worldwide and our discussion of his book, The Lord's Supper is a Meal. I have some important announcements to make. If you love this show and you don't want it to disappear, folks, please go to ironsharpensironradio.com, click support, then click, click to donate now. You can donate instantly with a debit or credit card. If you prefer snail mail, there will be a physical address that appears on your screen as well when you click support at ironsharpensironradio.com where you can mail your checks made payable to Iron Trip and Zion Radio. If you want to advertise, whatever it is, as long as it's compatible with what I believe, I would love to help you launch an ad campaign because we're just as much in urgent need of your advertising dollars as we are in your donations. So send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put advertising in the subject line. Also, please never forget, I never want Iron Sharp and Zion Radio listeners to give your own church where you are a member less money than you normally give them in order to send us a financial gift. Never cut into the finances that you have set aside to provide for your local church on the Lord's Day in order to bless Iron Sharp and Zion Radio. Never do that. And if you're really struggling to survive, wait until you're back on your feet and more financially stable before you send us a financial gift. The Bible's very clear is that we're primarily uh, required to use the money with which he has blessed us, which is still his money, we're primarily to use that to support our church and our family, and providing them for this radio show is obviously not a command of God. But if you do love the show and you don't want it to go off the air and you have money for benevolent, recreational, and trivial purposes, please share some of that extra money with us if indeed you love this show. Go to irontrepensionradio.com, click support, then click, click to donate now. Last but not least, if you are not a member of a Christ-honoring Biblically faithful, theologically sound, doctrinally solid church like Christ Fellowship in Kansas City, Missouri. 
I have extensive lists of biblically faithful churches spanning the globe, and I've helped many people in our audience all over the planet Earth find churches, sometimes even within just a couple of minutes from where they live. And that may be you, too. If you're without a biblically faithful church home, send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put, I need a church, in the subject line. That's also the email address where you can send in a question to Jim Elif on the Lord's Supper is a meal. Chris Arnson at gmail.com gives your first name at least, city and state, and country residence. Uh, Mike from Monroe, New York, second question to you is, has Jim ever received any criticism for this unique practice, which I think is a wonderful way for anybody to get close to one another around this glorious ordinance? Yeah, that's, um, thank you for that question, um, Mike. Uh, you know, uh, I think because I have I have fairly often talked about this issue with pastors, and um, they have many questions. The typical response is, um, "Wow, I you know, <laughs> I just like my response was when I began to see it in the scripture. I mean, wh- what I've been missing, I just I've been missing so much, and uh, now I see this as something God." Uh, makes a is actually an apostolic tradition in my view, and makes all the sense in the world. And what is there not to not to love about it? And so, uh, most of the responses I've gotten have been that way. Sometimes uh, I have just a very occasionally. I'm I'm a pretty nice guy, you know. So generally, people are nice to me. <laughs> so I have not uh, had you know just people screaming at me or anything like that. But there there have been questions especially from people who are work work the the Lord's Supper is something they take with the two elements into sort of this liturgy and ceremony of the church. This is a really a, such a big overturn of that idea that um, I, I believe they rightfully should be very cautious and examine things very closely, you know, to, to, to make sure they, uh, you know, they understand w- what I'm saying and what the Bible is saying and so forth. And I can understand that initial uh, negative response. After all, you have years and years of people doing this, just, you know, taking the little bit of bread, the little the little cup and, and, and uh, doing it in a more or less ceremonial way. Um, but I think, again, uh, I understand that. I understand that kind of uh, pushback, and but it's always been up to this point in talking to pastors' meetings, which I've done a considerable amount of. People have been actually very gracious because I think deep down they understand that, at least understand this, that in the early church, it they obviously were eating a meal here, and it is obviously called the Lord's Supper or a coffee feast, and um, uh, I, I just think they know. <laughs> Uh, that part of their history. They tend, a lot of the people tend to fall back from, get their doctrine mainly out of the Reformation or from uh, a period of time after the, after the New Testament church, when things begin to change, when Catholic traditions were forming in the second, third, especially the third and fourth centuries, uh, when uh, institutions, uh, the church became an inst- more institutional, there were larger crowds of people, um, priesthood and altars and, uh, you know, ceremony, 
uh, and feast days and all of the things entered into church life, which were really uh, reflections of some pagan practices or maybe Old Testament cultic worship. I don't say that in a negative sense, but the Old Testament worship was priestly, priest acting for the people, you know, I mean, um, and, and so that, that, that they're, they were built on those sorts of things as they gradually developed in the early centuries. But if you go all the way back to the New Testament, the first 150, 200 years, especially, you just see, uh, you know, it was very primitive and they were eating meals together. Now, the question I think they have to ask is, um, has, has God shaped it differently? Do we go back to the New Testament and find out what God prescribes and what describes? So we need to look at what's described as well, because there might be principles behind it, or, or part of that that's prescribed. So we have to be careful about that. But or do we go? Do we do we believe God is making things new all along, and we're developing, and uh, we're where we are because God really led us to be where we are? So those are questions one has to ask. But for me, I I believe we go back to the New Testament, and we find out what we should be doing in terms of the church. We we um, you know we we just I think we we need to be committed to that. I really believe that was a Reformation idea, but I believe in the Reformation several things hung over of a ceremonial nature, and this is one of them. And again, just taking a little sip and a little and and, and being very independent, separate. This is not even the idea, in my view, of what the Lord's Supper is there for. It is to be about fellowship and sharing in the body of Christ and sharing in one another. And this is the heart of it. We're missing the heart of it. That's the thing that bothers me. You know, that, and uh, I mean, we're really missing the meaning, I think, of of the Lord's Supper. We get the meaning about the body and the bread being symbolic of Christ. That's one thing that is to be dis- displayed. But uh, the the point in, the law, in this, these sections, for instance, particularly in, First Corinthians 10 and 11, I mean, longer section here, uh, it's very clearly revealing that it's about this sharing or this koinonia in the body of Christ and with one another. That's just like it was in the Old Testament sacrifices when they sat down and ate a meal. Just frankly, uh, it, I mean, it's a sharing, right? It's a sharing in each other's lives built upon the death of Jesus Christ, built upon the sacrifice of Christ. So uh, I I really feel mainly a a great deal of uh, sadness that churches don't experience this. Can you imagine that we've had 900 meals together? Wow. Just think about that. What would would that be like for you to have 900 meals together in terms of warming up your fellowship and your love for each other? It's God's, it's a method. It's, it's something God has designed for the churches to do. And, uh, you know, they, in Corinth, it just says five times when you come together as a church, when you come together to eat. And uh, so this is what they did when it's the Lord's Day. They came together to share their lives together and to really, you know, really know each other well and have true fellowship built upon Jesus' death. So uh, I, I get some pushback sometimes, 
but I, I also understand that pushback because of just, you know, these traditions that have been around for so long. And it's, it's kind of um, unnerving when we want to, when somebody says something different than that. Uh, but, uh, and I don't claim to be like, have all knowledge, <laughs> you know, I don't at all, but I, I'm trying to explain what, what uh, we have seen as a church. And I, and I think it's hard not to love what God does this way. So you don't uh, share my uh, exhaustive knowledge on all things? <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I just, if I just know one guy like you, I'm kind of set up. So I just, I just count on you to do that part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have, I have uh, an anticipated um, opposition that actually involves something that you said about the way other people uh, view the Lord's uh, table and practice it. You, you you use the phrase that there were some people who, uh, and I can now I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was something to the effect that it was no big deal, it was uh, not uh, very important or something. And some people might think that when you're having the Lord's table as a part of a meal with fried chicken and mashed potatoes and baked beans, that it, it's trivial. Mm-hmm. It's trivializing the actual ordinance to being very common because we have three meals a day, every day of our lives. Yeah. Most of us. Yeah. And, yeah. I see what you're saying. So mm-hmm. why don't you respond to that? Hmm. Yeah. Boy, I like fried chicken. Don't you? Oh yeah. I, I love it. I, really I, love, I do love fried uh, chicken. Yeah. <laughs> One of, one of the things that I think what we need rather to do is lift up the idea of meals in the Bible and how important meals are um, in the Scripture as a uh, for the practice of fellowship. Anyway, just in general, the idea of meals, I mean, it, it is a way that God talks about communion with each other. Even even uses that in Revelation three twenty, which is just popping in mind. Come in, and I will eat with you, and you with me. This is like the way to talk about fellowship. When you you know when you think of heaven, you think of a table with the patriarchs around the table and eating with them. You know this was this was the thing. It's a there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So elevating the idea of a meal, not formalizing it. Not formalizing it. it, it is what it is in a way because it's relaxed and, you, you know, we're able to just be ourselves and, and share our lives with each other. But I think raising that will help us to see. And then also to remember it to see, to see its connection. Also to remember that in the Old Testament, in the sacrifices, they would sit down and eat a meal uh, f- from that animal that had been sacrificed and so forth. And and it's always associated with a meal. In other words, the whole line of uh, the whole uh, linear connection between Passover, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Marriage Supper, the Lamb, they're all about meals. So I think we would be maybe misunderstanding the value of a meal or the heightened view we should have about meals in relationship to fellowship, rather than saying that meal denigrates something about the Lord's Supper. It's it's what what the death of Jesus Christ created. It created fellowship for us. And the best picture of fellowship 
and the most often repeated picture of fellowship in the Bible is we're eating together. And you did so, you did specify yeah. earlier that you do separate the partaking of those two elements of mm-hmm. uh, the fruit of the yeah vine. there is uh, right there is the the cup which we bless you know the the bread which we share uh, we think there's something special about that those elements right and so we highlight those elements and and. People can do that, in, I think, in different ways. It's not prescribed for us exactly how that's highlighted. Uh, we, we don't do a Passover Seder. That's not what we're doing. Uh, it's something different, something new. But eating meals together, the uh, joyous meals. This is a this is a happy time to eat together because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But as forgiven people, people who've been justified by Christ's death, we we can have fellowship on a level that others cannot have. So, yeah, we highlight those things, and then we have a meal, which is a joyous meal. And, uh, you know, it's it's given, uh, we, we like to give proper due, proper emphasis on those things. But remember, when you build a whole tradition where you get really quiet, you have certain kind of music playing, you say certain words, as a ceremony over and over, you do things. Sometimes deacons do things. Your movements are all choreographed, perhaps, and all those kinds of things that happen around this, which, again, I think it's a bit of a Catholic hangover. Uh, but you, you do all those kinds of things, and then you take that away. You're thinking, well, we're, we're not sort of sacralizing this like we had in the past. And so you, you understand, we might be missing what was not required, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. We might be missing something. Yes, we could we could create something that we like or don't like, but maybe we like it. But we've just done it so long. We really tried to find ways to to make try to find ways to find as much meaning as possible in it. And I think there there can be some meaning in that for sure. But uh, in in taking that away, in a sense, uh, you know, I can understand people's reaction to that. But I think in the early church, it really wasn't that way. By the way, Mike... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, that's it. I was just going to tell Michael in New York uh, that uh, you have won a free copy of The Lord's Supper is a Meal, thanks to the generosity of Jim Elif and Christian Communicators Worldwide, and also thanks to our friends at Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service, cvbbs.com, who will actually be shipping the book out to you. So please give us uh, your full address in New York State, and uh, we'll have cvbbs.com ship that out to you as soon as possible. We have Brian in Palm Bay, Florida. Uh, He's asking uh, two questions that are somewhat off-topic, but they are involving the Lord's Supper. What do you think about new believers being baptized first before being allowed to take the Lord's Supper? That's his first question. Yes. That's a, right. I do, I do believe that this is a, this is a supper for the church. Uh, and the church historically, in almost every denomination, regardless of what you believe about baptism, the mode of baptism or the time for baptism, uh, in almost every denomination is a body of baptized believers. Uh, not everyone, but it almost. And so uh, that's that's a uh, without spending a long time demonstrating why that's so. Yes, we do believe that a person needs to be uh, 
a true believer uh, openly pledging their their adherence to Christ and with baptism and um, you know being part of therefore being part of the church. And uh, they would be the ones to take. They would be the ones to eat the Lord's supper. So others would be there. Like there would be some children there, but for them it is a meal. But for us, for the believers, this is the Lord's supper. Yeah, that's one uh, aspect of bringing back what you were saying earlier about separating or highlighting the two elements of the Lord's Supper in some distinctive way apart from the yeah. because if you have kids yeah. there they're obviously eating the meal they're eating yeah. they're eating the yeah. fried chicken and mashed potatoes and the corn on the cob but they're they're not going yeah. to be if unless they're old enough to have been baptized as believers they're not going to be uh having the elements uh, yes mm-hmm. and Brian's second question since the lord's table is reserved for believers when should we allow children to partake in the Lord's Supper? Yes, uh, as children come to know Christ, and um, I mean, we're Baptistic. I'm Baptistic, you know, in my beliefs, believing that baptism follows uh, conversion to Christ. You know, uh, we baptize disciples, people who decided to follow Jesus and uh, put their trust in him. And we baptize them. So, uh, you know, then after after that happens in their lives, whatever time, whenever that might happen, and they are free to eat the Lord's uh, Supper. We'll be doing that this week, for instance, with a, a young man, probably 13 years of age, who's come to Christ. Uh, he's been there with his family, but he's not been partaking of the special elements. And um, now he will be doing that with us. Okay, we have... Oh, by the way, uh, Brian, you've also won a free copy of The Lord's Supper is a Meal. Please provide us with your full mailing address in Palm Bay, Florida, so that cvbbs.com, Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service, can ship that out to you. And also, uh, if you are a first-time questioner, and that goes for everybody today if you submit questions, if you're a first-time questioner, you're also going to receive a free New American Standard Bible Compliments of our friends at the NASBible.com, who sponsor this program, and compliments of CVBBS.com, who will ship it out to you. Uh, we have Thurgood in Superior, Colorado, and Thurgood asks, do you have a strictly memorialist view of the Lord's Supper, or do you have a more traditionally Reformed view that has a lot more spiritual aspects involved? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think it's going to be advisable to get in, into the weeds here about all of this, but uh, principally, I believe what Jesus established in, in what he said is he told us what these symbols were. And then the apostles, in my view, um, established the tradition of the supper. It just, it, it, I believe it's called a tradition in 1 Corinthians 11, where two traditions are mentioned. 
and uh, the first one uses the word tradition. Then he goes to the next one, which, he, which is the Lord's Supper issue, which he calls instructions. Uh, I, I believe this is an apostolic tradition to be obeyed, by the way. And so the, yeah, um, I, I believe in all the means of grace, there are spiritual things that can happen. So I'll just leave it right. At, uh, that, that can happen, but I don't, I, I do hold a, a view of essentially that what we've established here is that it's symbolic of something, and we live that out in our fellowship with each other. And but but in any kind of means, any kind of um, thing we do, I think as believers, there's potential for great spiritual benefit and spiritual experience be had by it in it so that's not a great answer but it's it's a i don't have time to develop it more i don't think and get stay with the lord's supper here well yeah. th- thanks thurgood uh please give us your full Good mailing. question though give us your full mailing address because you've also won a free copy of I don't, the lord's supper go ahead yeah i don't think uh i think people could might be able to hold different views about that issue and still eat the lord's supper my emphasis is on the lord's supper is a meal so I, it, they might be able to have different mm-hmm. views about that that issue he just mentioned. Okay, uh, let's see here. We have a charity in Cooper Landing, uh, Alaska. Uh, Cooper Landing, Alaska. And Charity wants to know, is your view compatible with a church that every time when partaking the Lord's Supper, they invite everyone to a meal after the worship service. And I, I do know churches that do that. Every single time they have the Lord's Supper, and sometimes it's every week, they will they will have a meal, but it's after the Lord's Supper in the actual worship service, and then you go into the fellowship hall and you have your meal. Uh, is that good enough, in your opinion, to reflect the spirit of what you believe is the is the most biblically faithful way uh that's a great question a really great question um the i i think you know the i think it'd be significant about the language people use uh in other words where where people err a lot in language is they say we're we're going to take the lord's supper well that's not a correct way to say that we eat the lord's supper so what we're having the lord's supper is a meal with the elements highlighted so it's way better what she's mentioning is way better i think than many people would do um i think if i were in that situation i would want to move what is done related to the elements of the Lord's Supper closer to the meal in that context of the meal, I think it'd be more, uh, it would say more of what needs to be said about fellowship being created in the death of Christ. Although I don't think you'd be, you necessarily could, you, I think you, you could possibly work with what you're doing and, um, and get closer. <laughs> You know, but I mean, and the actual the actual Lord's Supper is a meal with those elements. So when you said that's what it is, uh, I would think you would want to actually bring that over into the actual meal itself. So 
I, I, I won't, I mean, that's way better than many people do. I think connecting a meal to uh, the same days you have, you ha- eat uh, those elements, have those elements rather. But uh, I, I think getting closest to what went on in the early church and what well, I think the Lord's Supper is, what it actually is, it's a meal with these elements highlighted. I, I think it might be better to actually think about moving it over into the meal itself. So that's a partial answer, but, you know, but I, th- I think you know, have to do some ma- manipulate, or you have to do some um, work on making that connection. If you know what I'm saying? So th- th- at least I would prefer that if I were in that church pastoring, I would move it over into the meal itself. Okay, Charity. Well, you've also won a free copy. Good question. Uh, you've won a free copy mm-hmm. of the Lord's Supper as a meal. Make sure we have your full mailing address in Alaska so that cvbbs.com can ship it out to you. Uh, Susan Margaret in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, asks, Are you saying that you believe that the partaking of the hot dogs and hamburgers and the french fries and the salad are actually a part of the ordinance? I'm saying that, yes, the Lord's Supper is a meal. Yeah, that's that's what I, exactly what I'm saying. The Lord's Supper is a meal. Now, we can pick the worst kind of foods, you know. <laughs> better foods here to make this sound better. But uh, it's not the point. It's not about what we eat. In fact, let, let, me, let me make this very clear. Uh, Paul is adamant about saying, if it's about your appetite, you need to curb that appetite at home before you come and share your food with each other. He makes that very clear in First Corinthians eleven. It's not, it's it's not about the nature of the food. The food is the context for the fellowship that is created mm-hmm. by the death of Jesus Christ. Does that help a little bit? Oh yeah, it's not about the food. Paul, uh, Paul is making that clear in First Corinthians eleven. You can go and read. That's that's the text you really ought to read carefully. It's First Corinthians eleven. And uh, he doesn't, he doesn't, because of this, he said, you have homes to eat in. He's not saying don't eat the Lord's Supper as a meal because he comes to the end of the whole thing and he repeats again. So when you come together, you know, uh, when you come together to eat, uh, wait for one another, which means another definition of the word wait there, which you might find in the margin of your Bible is, uh, you know, sort of play the host. You know, with each other. In other words, share your food with each other. Uh, so it's not the food is the mean or a means of having fellowship. It's a context for fellowship. The important thing is the fellowship, and he's very ad- he's adamant about that in this text. It's not about your appetite. So you're not coming in to stuff yourself at this meal, but you're coming here to share with each other, and uh, you know to you know, share your lives together. And that day, it appears that they brought their meals in separately. Some would go ahead and eat. Some even got drunk. That was an abuse. But it shows you what was happening. They were eating right. a meal, but, and, and, and some were lacking. And he, he, he's disturbed about that. And he says, this is not the fellowship that was created by Jesus. This isn't what Jesus did when he died sacrificially. That's your brother. That's your sister. You know, share your life with them. Share what you have with them. 
And uh, so it's that fellowship, the, the, the walls are broken down. That fellowship we have is because of Jesus Christ's death. So food is, is there as a context, but otherwise it's, it's the main thing is the, the fellowship itself. So that's, that's what we're after. Food will be necessary uh, because it's a supper. It's an agape feast. So feast, you know, have the supper, have the food. But don't make it about your appetite. Make it about sharing. Now, I can be honest with you that the first time I ever heard of uh, the concept of the Lord's Supper being a meal, it was probably over a decade ago. And it was someone who at the time had a much stricter view of house churches. Uh, I think at that time, the individual actually believed that that was required of people, of Christians, to be faithful to the biblical understanding of assembling together. I think that he has departed from that now and is actually... Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That that would be wrong. Yeah, I think he's meeting actually in a rented facility now, just like people would do as a church. Yep. But... Yeah, but I don't know if he's. I'm not mentioning his name because he may have changed his view on this as well. But what turned me off to the idea of the Lord's Supper as a meal from this individual is he actually said to me that we put the bread and wine on the table right alongside everything else that everybody's eating, like the cream spinach and the pork chops and everything else. <laughs> And and you just and you just go up and you you take your whatever you want and and slap it on your plate and you take the elements and you sit privately and partake of the Lord's Supper. There's no uh, more formal highlighting of those elements. Now, I'm assuming from what you said, you would probably be equally opposed to that. Um, let me say there are different things you can do. We're not, nobody's prescribed here what to do, uh, you know, in the scriptures. You, you'll have a hard time. All you find is the cup which we bless, the bread which we share. So, and uh, in Jesus' Passover meal, it was a Seder. It, they just did various ceremonial things all the way through that meal. So it's hard to use that as a model. You know, I don't think the Lord was telling us to do Seder, Passover Seders. Uh so uh, I think we're required to highlight that however we do it. The one thing to think about is that it is possible in that context, that culture, when bread was the utensil, all right, that's how they ate their meal. And when you had a banquet with people, other people, you almost always had wine. And it had to be fermented because that's, there wasn't a way to keep it from being fermented, but that's another question. I don't care if it's wine or, or grape juice or whatever. But so you you had that, and these were the staples of every meal. So the it's it's a little bit difficult question to say how, you know, that was on the table already. So is is he saying for those of you who are believers, this bread, this cup, which we're highlighting here is to remind us of the death of Jesus Christ, his body and his blood. Uh, In other words, I would say that there's nothing inherently wrong with putting it there with the foods 
in a separate place. But what you need to do is highlight. So we take some trouble to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about it. We, we open the scriptures together. One of the different brothers will share something every week. We often sing together. We pray together. We remember those things. And so we're highlighting that. And then they're eating them like the early church probably would. They'd probably be eating them along with their meal. But if we don't do that, we can do something else. I think one of the congregations does a little bit differently than that. I think this is this is something you need to work out in your own mind. Uh, but remember, we're not trying to repeat. A ser- we're, we ultimately need to to uh, seek to obey the script. You know what the Lord has revealed in the scriptures, and not past experiences of ceremonies the way they've been handled. So you know we can get that mixed up and think, well, you know we've got to do it like that in order for it to be sacred enough or something. So I I just say we have to be careful about that. And I think it was just a pretty simple idea. This bread and this this Mm -hmm. wine, Mm -hmm. which we always would have with a meal, this, for us believers, is about the death of Jesus Christ and reminds us that we are together and we have fellowship because of, all the walls are broken down, because of Jesus Christ's death. So I'm not too concerned about whether it's at the end of the table or on a separate table or done together. I've done all of those things. You know, I've done everything. So you can, you know, I mean, I've especially done together or not together in the middle of the meal, at the end of the meal. I've done, I can do those things because I'm finding different ways that I might want to highlight that. There's no formula here, in my view, no ceremony that he's describing. Uh, so that I think we need to be careful about mixing up, you know, the ceremonies that have developed in the third, fourth century as the church began institutionalized, as they were priests, as they were, you know, the things that developed and we that we have um, some hangover from. Uh, I, I just think we need to be careful not not to think that's the only way that we highlight what's going on here. Okay, we have to go to yes, and we have to go to our final break. Don't go away. We're going to be right back. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries here. If you've watched my Dividing Line webcast often enough, you know I have a great love for getting Bibles and other documents vital to my ministry rebound to preserve and ensure their longevity. And besides that, they feel so good. I'm so delighted I discovered Post Tenebrous Lux Bible Rebinding. No radio ad will be long enough to sing their praises sufficiently, but I'll give it a shot. Jeffrey Rice of Post Tenebrous Lux is a remarkably gifted craftsman and artisan. All his work is done by hand from the cutting to the pleating of corners to the perimeter stitching. Jeffrey uses the finest and buttery soft imported leathers in a wide variety of gorgeous colors like the turquoise goat skin tanned in Italy used for my Nessie All in 28th edition with a navy blue goat skin inside liner and the electric blue goat skin from a French tannery used to rebind a Reformation study Bible I used as a gift. The silver gilding he added on the page edges has a stunning mirror finish resembling highly polished chrome. Jeffrey will customize your rebinding to your specifications and even emboss your logo into the leather, making whatever he rebinds a one-of-a-kind work of art. For more details on Post Tenebrous Lux Bible Rebinding, go to ptlbiblerebinding.com. That's ptlbiblerebinding.com. 
Hi, I'm Buzz Taylor. Chris Arnzen of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio has had a long-time partnership with our friends at CVBBS, which stands for Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. They specialize in supplying Reformed and Puritan books and Bibles at discount prices that make them affordable for everyone. CVBBS has been a family-owned book service since 1987, operating out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. They seek to bring you the best available Christian books and Bibles at the best possible prices. Unlike other book sites, they make no effort to provide every book that is available or popular because, frankly, much of what is being printed is not worth your time. That means you can get to the good stuff faster. It also means you don't have to worry about being assaulted by the pornographic, heretical, and otherwise faith-insulting materials promoted by the secular book vendors. Browse the pages at ease, shop at your leisure, and purchase with confidence at Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. Order online at cvbbs.com. That's cvbbs.com. Or you can order by phone at 1-800-656-0231. That's 1-800-656-0231. Please let our friends at CVBBS know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Hi, this is John Sampson, pastor of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona, taking a moment of your day to talk about Chris Arnzen and the Iron Sharpens Iron podcast. I consider Chris a true friend and a man of high integrity. He's a skilled interviewer who's not afraid to ask the big penetrating questions while always defending the key doctrines of the Christian faith. I've always been happy to point people to this podcast knowing it's one of the very few safe places on the internet where folk won't be led astray. I believe this podcast needs to be heard far and wide. This is a day of great spiritual compromise, and yet God has raised Chris up for just such a time. And knowing this, it's up to us as members of the body of Christ to stand with such a ministry in prayer and in finances. I'm pleased to do so, and would like to ask you to prayerfully consider joining me in supporting Iron Sharpens Iron financially. Would you consider sending either a one-time gift or even becoming a regular monthly partner with this ministry? I know it would be a huge encouragement to Chris if you would. All the details can be found at ironsharpensironradio.com where you can click support. That's ironsharpensironradio.com. I'm Dr. Tony Costa, Professor of Apologetics and Islam at Toronto Baptist Seminary. I'm thrilled to introduce to you a church where I've been invited to speak and have grown to love, Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, Long Island, New York, pastored by Rich Jensen and Christopher McDowell. It's such a joy to witness and experience fellowship with people of God like the dear saints at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, who have an intensely passionate desire to continue digging deeper and deeper into the unfathomable riches of Christ in His Holy Word, and to enthusiastically proclaim Christ Jesus the King and His doctrines of sovereign grace in Suffolk County, Long Island, and beyond. I hope you also have the privilege of discovering this precious congregation and receive the blessing of being showered by their love, as I have. For more information on Hope Reformed Baptist Church, go to hopereformedli.net. That's hopereformedli.net. Or call 631-696-5711. That's 631-696-5711. 
1-800-242-5711. Tell the folks at Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Quorum, Long Island, New York, that you heard about them from Tony Costa on Iron Sharpens Iron. When Iron Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. I'm Dr. Joe Moorcraft, pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church in Cumming, Georgia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Anthony Uvino, founder of TheReformRookie.com and co-founder of New York Apologetics, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Tim Bushong of Syracuse Baptist Church in Syracuse, Indiana, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Eli Ayala, founder of Revealed Apologetics and staff member with the Historical Bible Society, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Josh Miller of Grace Bible Fellowship Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Joe Bianchi, president of Calvary Press Publishing in Greenville, South Carolina, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jake Korn of Switzerland Community Church in Switzerland, Florida, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. President of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed-circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. 
This is Brian McLaughlin of the Secure.com Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. And folks, do not forget that a primary financial supporter of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio is the law firm of Buttafuoco and Associates. If you're the victim of a very serious personal injury or medical malpractice anywhere in the United States, please call my friend Dan Buttafuoco, attorney at law, at 1-800-NOW-HURT, 1-800-NOW-HURT, or visit his website, 1-800-NOW-HURT.com. Please don't forget to mention Chris Arnzen of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Also, I just want to quickly remind all men in my audience, if you're in ministry leadership, a pastor or a parachurch leader or a deacon or an elder, and by the way, I think elders and pastors are the same office, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, please uh, join us at my next Iron Sharp and Zion Radio Free Pastors Luncheon on Thursday, June the 6th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Church of the Living Christ in Loysville, Pennsylvania. For the very first time, we're having our guest speaker, Dr. Joel Beakey, bless us with a message. He is the founder and president of Puritan Reform Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you'd like to uh, register for free, and, and keep in mind, everything is free, including the fact that every person in attendance is going to be receiving a free heavy sack of brand new free books personally selected by me and donated by generous publishers all over the United States and the United Kingdom. Everything's free. And uh, so please send me your free registration to chrisarnson at gmail.com, chrisarnson at gmail.com. Okay, Jim, we have Ray J. in Watts, California, who asks, if you visit a church that has a more traditional Lord's Supper that is a part of a liturgical service separate from any meal, would you partake of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I would if it was a true church. I mean, the in other words, there are many uh progressive churches that I don't think understand the gospel, and if they're not representing the true gospel, I think that would be a problem. I think I would, but I would be, um, I'd be thinking to myself, this is a mighty small meal. (laughs) (laughs) So this has not even happened yet? You haven't visited like a Reformed Baptist church, for instance? Uh, I have been, yes, I have been, and where God is honored and they're preaching the gospel and, and, you know, I, I, I would take, I did that not long ago in Shreveport, for instance. So I would do that, but I would encourage them to a fuller understanding, you know, everybody to a fuller understanding of this. I think we're missing, missing something. And so, yes, I, I would, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that would be a reason to, uh, I, I wouldn't think I would not do it if they were true church and, and preaching the gospel through it, in a sense. So that's my position. Others may have a different position, but I don't think that, I think that's the right way to handle that. Uh, in other words, we, we see a good part of it alike, but the context that is created by Christ's death is missing. So that's a big miss to me, but it would keep me from, you know, eating that very small meal. Well, uh, Jim, uh, we are now out of time, and I really loved uh, the interview and uh, found myself having a lot more in common than I perhaps anticipated with you about this very subject. 
And I want to make sure that our listeners have uh, your contact information. Uh, first of all, mm-hmm. if our listeners mm-hmm. want to find out more about uh, Christian communicators worldwide, you can go to ccwtoday.org, ccwtoday.org. And if you want to find out about more about Christ Fellowship in Kansas City, Missouri, ChristFellowshipKC.org, ChristFellowshipKC.org. It was such a joy to have you on, uh, Jim. I look forward to many frequent future returns by you to this program. I want to thank everybody. Okay. Who, I want to thank everybody who listened, and I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, brother.